Henry Ford once said, the only real mistake is the one from which we learn nothing. Ten years ago this September, the global economy was brought to its knees by the dramatic collapse of Lehman Brothers and the ensuing crisis of confidence in the global capital markets as investors sought to unwind their complex derivatives positions. As we near the 10-year anniversary of the fall of Lehman Brothers, we're taking a look back to reveal the lessons learned, or not learned, from the global financial crisis. Hello and welcome to a DerivSource podcast. I'm Emily Fraser-Voigt, Deputy Editor of DerivSource.com. In this podcast, we're speaking with individuals who were directly involved in the crisis at Lehman's about how the crisis was managed and what we can and must learn from this cataclysmic event. Thank you, Emily. Hello, everyone. This is Julia Schieffer, founder of DerivSource.com. In today's podcast, we are speaking to Christian Lee, head of risk and clearing at Catalyst. And we're also speaking to his colleague, Stephen Loosely, managing director at the consulting firm. Welcome to the podcast. So let's start with some background. Can you both explain to me where you were during the Lehman's default and what role you played in that process? And Christian, let's start with you. Uh, Ten years ago, I was working at LCH ClearNet uh, as a risk manager responsible for overseeing the swap clear business. Part of that involved being responsible for the design and implementation of the default management process, something that had been evolving and been practiced over the years, or had always been a theoretical exercise, but nevertheless a key part of the way that our swap clear service was designed. And sure enough, 10 years ago, when the first um, rumblings were occurring, concerns about the the financial safety of Lehman Brothers, which was happening through the summer. Obviously, that then culminated in the default event in September over the weekend of September the 13th, 14th. And my specific role was to lead that default management group that was responsible for the unwind of the interest rate swap portfolio. That being the, if you like, the riskiest and nastiest part of the Lehman's portfolios that LCH had on its book. It was separately ring-fenced from a lot of the other exposures. And my role in conjunction with Stephen and others was to ensure that we handled that default, the default of the swaps portfolio. As Christian said, the IRS book that Lehman's left us with at LCH was probably the biggest and riskiest product type. Just to give you a feel for it, I think it was about 67,000 trades totaling about $9 trillion worth of, of notional. And we were winning or losing, before we before we commenced the hedging, we were winning or losing about 6 or $7 million a basis point. So that, that was the extent to which that book was sensitive to moves and rates. So uh, pretty hairy times. I mean, one can really not underestimate the significance of this event. It was pretty unprecedented, to be honest. I mean, the, you know, the fact that at the time, um, SwapClear was the only clearinghouse that were clearing OTC swaps. The, the way that the default management process had, had been designed was, was quite unique. Um, it, was, it was well designed, but the theory is often very, can be very different to the practice. So we were in uncharted territory to, to a large extent. 
In your view, looking back, what were the biggest fears for the industry at this time? I think the biggest concern for us, the industry, the, the people that we were directly involved with, was the fact that the default management process for our product set in particular relied on cooperation and collaboration with the, the marketplace. Now, this was hardwired into the rules of, of LCH, but you know, having a set of, set of rules and processes is one thing. Having that cooperation and collaboration working in practice is quite another. So I think our concern was, would people turn up? Would people, first of all, our default management group, would they be, they were obliged to turn up, but would that happen in practice? Without them, we wouldn't have been able to execute the hedging trades that we needed to perform. The second aspect was executing those hedge trades. Would we get prices from the marketplace? Would people understand this unique situation where we were trading as principal and LCH? So could we get good prices? Would, would that be sufficient to mitigate any market risk as a result of the fairly violent moves that were going on? The third aspect was, given the first two were okay, would we be able to ultimately auction and sell these portfolios and preserve that margin? And would all the supporting infrastructure provide the necessary information and enable us to complete the, the process itself? For me, the biggest fear was that the process wouldn't work. I mean, we tested and tested this thing. We knew that the system worked. We knew that the governance worked. We knew that, in theory, all the analytics worked and that the trading would work. But until you actually test it live, you, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know, will the traders show up? Or, or will the situation back at their own banks be too important and take precedence? Will they actually be able to make trades? You know, will there be market liquidity? Are we, going to, are we going to be able to get the prices that we need or are we going to burn through the margin? Will there be the liquidity for an auction once we've packaged up this risk-neutralised portfolio? So will we actually be able to dispose of it at any point and really close this out? You can test these things as much as you want, theoretically, but nothing's life-proving. That was my biggest fear. One of the direct results of the crisis was the G20 mandates of 2009. And from that, new regulation in the form of Dodd-Frank and Amir. Now, these regulations really aim to strengthen the financial system. Do you think this new regulation has been successful in doing that? By and large, I think it has. You know, the regulatory intent at the time uh, from policymakers and indeed from politicians themselves um, was to avoid the situation where taxpayers' money would be made available to support um, financial institutions. There was the desire to avoid the systemic consequences of one bank failing and taking another down. There was the objective to ensure that better regulation happened insofar as better oversight from regulators. There was the additional desire to ensure that there was suitable transparency on pricing avoidance of esoteric and highly leveraged instruments. And finally, the requirement to ensure that retail investors would not be subsidising investment bank uh, activity. So it was a, obviously a very ambitious programme that was put in place. And, you know, 10 years on, we still haven't completed the journey. It hasn't been perfect. There have been unintended consequences but by and large, I, I do believe the 
yeah, the regulatory intent has been met and the financial system is a lot safer, uh, albeit carrying a lot more cost these days um, with that focus on um, adequately capitalised institutions and ad- adequately regulated institutions. I think that's a really interesting question, because if you look at the product types that a lot of this regulation, the post-crisis regulation, has been aimed at, they're not actually products that had anything to do with the underlying causes of the global financial crisis in the first place. So actually, you could really call this reg a success, because it's a rare example of shutting the stable door before the horse bolts. Christian, you mentioned unintended consequences. Is there a new risk to the market or to the industry that we have to deal with that you think people should be well aware of? Yes, I mean, I think there are new risks and some of them are very clear to all participants. Um, We are now in the situation where the CCPs, certainly the internationals, the CCPs, the clearinghouses are uh, categorised in the too big to fail category. And that in itself has entailed additional work to be done to what happens in the event of a CCP being in trouble using the recovery and resolution framework. Um, this is still very much work in progress, but you know we have shifted the risks from one group of participants to another. But having said that, I do think you know the, you know, the CCP's remit is very different to investment banks chasing profit as they were 10 years ago. So that's one set of, of new risks. On the unintended side of things, uh, I, I do feel that we have um, there is a bit more concentration in with the larger players. Um, yeah, the, the, the clearing broker market, for example, is not as widely populated as would be desirable, and yeah, that in itself has consequences and issues for the smaller and medium players. It does mean that if you're a light user of our derivatives. Um, that it's sometimes questionable whether it's, um, it's worth having that activity at all. So, you know, I think there's still some fine-tuning to be done. Um, some of the capital rules, I think, will need to be revised, making sure that, you know, the incentives are, are appropriately balanced. So, you know, I think, you know, to answer your question, yes, you know, we do have a new set of risks, but, you know, most of them are out in the open and... You know, the policymakers and, and others are, are working to try and uh, ensure that at least you know, there are mitigants in place. I think the regulation has introduced new risks. I mean, the concentration risk at, at CCPs is obvious these days, although I would say I don't think it's as big as people think it is. Multilateral netting actually means that the, the net amount of cleared risk is much smaller and more easy to deal with than the gross amount of having all those trades in a, in a bilateral web between all the original counterparties. Having said that, I think it's obvious that there are some CCPs you might consider in the uh, the risk of being too big to fail. Um, but then the regulation is dealing with its own consequences, with things like the recovery and resolution edicts and the, the importance of portability, how you move client portfolios, how you move the portfolios of a defaulted CCP possibly. So actually, I think the regulation is doing pretty well in that respect. Now, there has been a little bit of talk of possibly loosening some of the regulatory rules that have already been put in place, namely under Dodd-Frank from the U.S. regulators. Do you think that this is a possibility and a good idea? Yes, I can see that there is a case to be made to have maybe exemptions in place for certain participants and users in markets. Um, I would be very... um, 
wary though of looking to uh, roll back anything material from Dodd-Frank. I, th- I think there's been you know, a huge amount of investment that has been made to comply and implement it. I think the, you know, the market has, reluctantly in some cases, but it has fallen into line as far as making sure that it, it complies with the, the material aspects of Dodd-Frank. And I, I think it would be potentially a little, a little dangerous to, to roll back anything material from that. I think the other important point is to avoid, if you like, regulatory arbitrage between different um, jurisdictions. There is the danger that if you loosen it in one area, then um, that means that that level playing field doesn't exist. And that in itself could tilt the scales of risk in a, in a potentially dangerous way by, by putting too much again, concentration in one area because of this regulatory arbitrage. To follow up on Christian's point on regulatory arbitrage, the kind of regulations that they're talking about rolling back in the US at the moment in terms of the made available to trade regs and the platform trading on CEFs, um, you're actually looking at regulation where the US got there first. They got there two or three years in advance of Europe. And Europe are now catching up with the requirement to trade on platform to be more transparent, to be more client friendly, uh, with the likes of the regulations in MIFID 2 on OTFs and, and MTFs. So actually, if you were to roll back that regulation in the US, you'd be creating regulatory arbitrage now in the other direction. And finally, looking ahead, is there a lesson the market has yet to learn? And what do you think the industry should continue to focus on going forward? I think there's always a danger of, of the market having a bit too short-term memory. And you know we have, fortunately or not, avoided a major crisis since Lehman's happened uh, 10 years ago. You know, we, had, we had a few issues in, in Europe with you know, the sovereign concerns. We seem to have, have got through those. But apart from that, there hasn't really been a major event and I think my concern is that it's very easy for a bit of complacency to uh, return to the market. It was very fair weather in many people's eyes 10 years ago or so. And it was th- that desire to you know, chase, chase profits, chase yields, neglecting the fundamentals of business and, in- and risk management. And in one form or other, that is something that, you know, we've seen repeated over the decades. Um, So, you know, anything such as looking to roll back or relax, looking to create new products, get round or avoid regulation, in itself can store up issues, unforeseen risks. And the market learns from events and crises. Um, So I, I do hope that the new managers, the new business heads are able to heed the lessons from, from history, from Lehman's in particular. It was a, certainly in my long career, it was a, the biggest event, but not the only event. There were many other events, but that, that was the, the one where capitalism was on the brink. Um, the, the whole basis of the banking system was on the brink and unprecedented times in many, many ways. I think lessons have been learned, but in risk management, there's this classic concept of disaster myopia that means the more the last crisis recedes, the the less focus you put on anticipating the next one. And it feels to me like because we focused on looking at regulatory reporting primarily in all in all of the post-crisis regulation, it's been such a heavy burden. We've not maybe given the same 
weight or precedence to regulations that might really change how the banks behave and and how they actually really measure price, attribute, aggregate and report up through their executive the real risks that they're undertaking. And only when we do that with regulations like FRTB and BCBS 239, when, when they're finished and implemented, will I think we really start to see changes in behaviour rather than just the changes in, in transparency that some of the uh, bigger regulations like MIFID 2 have wrought. Well, I think that's an excellent point to end on. Thank you, Stephen Loosley and Christian Lee of Catalyst for sharing your experiences with the Lehman Brothers default and also your views on what we should be focusing on next. Thank you again. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. You can listen to all of our podcasts on derivesource.com slash podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have any comments you'd like to share looking back on the fall of Lehman Brothers and the lessons that have or have not been learned, or on any other topic that we've covered or even that you think we ought to cover, please drop us a line at editor at derivesource.com. We'd be glad to hear from you. We publish a podcast every month, as well as lots of other interesting original content such as feature articles, Q&As and videos on derivesource.com. Sign up for our weekly or monthly news alerts so you don't miss any of our podcasts and other content. Thanks for listening and join us next time.